Hello everyone, this is Dr. Terry Walls, and today we'll be mapping the mitochondria on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on the clinical relevance of the functional nutrition matrix, the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. The matrix is so important not only because it invites us to stop and assess, but also because it reminds us of three very important factors in our care, our recommendations, and our outcomes. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I welcome Dr. Terry Walls back to the mic. And this is an auspicious way to kick off the new year with such a pivotal leader in the field of functional medicine. Dr. Terry Walls is an Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner and a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa, where she conducts clinical trials in the setting of multiple sclerosis. In 2018, she was awarded the Institute for Functional Medicine's Linus Pauling Award for her contributions in research, clinical care, and patient advocacy. She is the author of The Walls Protocol, a radical new way to treat all chronic autoimmune conditions using paleo principles, and the cookbook, The Walls Protocol, Cooking for Life. Dr. Walls was also the guest for episode number two of this podcast. So after this episode, be sure to go back and listen to that early release. Dr. Walls, welcome back to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm super excited to spend some time with you today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I always love chatting with you. I know, me too. It's such a treat. And it's been too long. <laughs> much too long these days. So, Dr. Walls, you were talking about mitochondria well before it became in vogue in clinical circles, as far as I know. Can you take us way back in time to begin with to explain what mitochondria are and why they matter for health outcomes? Well, that would be about a billion and a half years ago when we had single cell life on Earth and a bigger microbe engulfed a smaller microbe. And that was the beginning of the first mitochondria, because those early mitochondria could utilize oxygen effectively. And they were able to generate ATP, the currency of life, more effectively. And this new supraorganism that had this smaller bacteria in it flourished. And of course, over time, it would become a multicellular organism and would allow other cells to specialize and we would eventually develop plants and fungi and animals. And of course, eventually mammals and then primates. And then of course, us. And we're pretty recent in that evolutionary history. That's only about 250,000 years that our species has clearly been unique. But mitochondria, a billion and a half years. 
That kind of gives me chills to think about it like that, that these cells living inside of us were in existence before we were, and that when we pay attention to them, we're paying attention to something really ancestral. Very ancestral. So where is that connection? I mean, in some ways it seems obvious, so I don't understand how it was overlooked for so long, or maybe it wasn't overlooked for so long, but where is that connection to our understanding of the health or the role of the mitochondria and our outcomes, our health outcomes? You know, I I got really tuned into this because of my progressive MS and the relentless deterioration that I had. So I got back into reading the basic science, looking at other slowly progressive neurologic diseases. And in all of those, mitochondrial signaling was a problem. Early brain cell death uh, was a problem. Brain atrophy was a problem. And so I developed the theory that mitochondria and mitochondrial dysfunction, lack of sufficient energy for the neurons, was a key driver in disability in MS. Can you talk a little bit more about that signaling, that mitochondrial signaling? Well, you know, we keep getting smarter and smarter about this. We thought mitochondria were really important just because they're so critical for generating ATP and the energy. But it turns out the mitochondria are also really important in signaling to the cell and how the cell turns on gene activity, turns on the innate immune cells, turns off the innate immune cells, you know, they really are responsible for orchestrating the healing process. It's just fascinating how much control the mitochondria have over our gene expression. It's not just our DNA. The mitochondrial guide how we use that DNA. It's really fascinating to think about getting down to that level. And I'm assuming just like any organ or system or tissue in the body, that mitochondria also exists in a terrain. So when we're thinking about mitochondrial function, are we also considering the terrain in which those mitochondria exist? Well, at least I do. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> and, and, and more people are coming along with me and realizing that the mitochondria are sensitive to the microenvironment, and the microenvironment is a reflection of our modifiable lifestyle factors and a reflection of the environment in which we live. So that's the exposome. And our lifetime of stress, of diet choices, of physical activity levels, of hormones, of relationships, of early stress, of perinatal stress. And this gets even more thoughtful in all of the factors that affected my mother, my father, my grandparents, my great-grandparents. It goes back for sure four generations, and maybe seven. And so when we think like that, now I I want people to also think about the social determinants of health, that it was the vitality of my ancestors and the stress of my ancestors that contributed to the health of their descendants, including me. 
this is what I love to talk about, both the social determinants of health and those modifiable lifestyle factors, but also these ancestral epigenetic factors, because I think it helps for us to put ourselves and the things we're struggling with in context. And it's like I say about the matrix, Dr. Walls, everything is connected. That's the center. We are all unique. That's the left. And all things matter. And that's the right side of the matrix. When we think about mitochondria, they exist differently in different places or organs and systems in our body. Can you talk a little bit about that differentiation and what that means when we mind our mitochondria? You know, I like to remind people that we concentrate the number of mitochondria according to just how much energy that tissue is going to need. So our eyeballs, particularly our retina, is some of the most dense areas for mitochondria. And then is our neuronal tissue, our neurons, and then uh, would be our heart. And then I think it goes liver and kidneys. And then we get down, I I can't remember where the pancreas lines up in this, but the muscles, uh, important as though they are, they're not the hogs of mitochondria, contrary to what we might think. The brain and the eyes are by far the most potent source You know, our ancestors knew the eyes are the incredible powerhouses of nutrition and the brain, incredible sources of nutrition. When I was up in Alaska, I had the uh, wonderful opportunity to live and work three months in a regional hospital in Alaska out at Bethel and befriended the native staff that I worked with. And so they took me out on ice fishing and dog sledding. And oh my God, it was so fun. So we're we're ice fishing and it would pop out the fish and the kids, they'd let the children eat the eyes. They pop them out and this was just like a wonderful treat. And they offered me some and I, like a fool that I was, I declined it. You know, what was I thinking? I, I should have gone along with that, of course. I've since learned that the eyes are often a valued food source in traditional ancestral hunter-gatherer societies. And of course, brains are as well, again, because of all of the DHA, the essential fatty acids, and the mitochondria. This links us back to your previous 15-Minute Matrix podcast, which was episode number two, which was on awful. So that idea of eating our organ meats to be able to get some of those nutrients. And I think when I was in China, they also would offer the eyes. I remember all of the face, the cheeks, all of it being a delicacy that was a gift that they were offering you in terms of the best nutrients is absolutely the best nutrients. Now, they also knew that if you became severely vitamin A deficient, you'd become blind. And so they'd offer liver and offal to some of our Western settlers who were becoming blind from vitamin A deficiency. But you have to be careful with vitamin A. Polar bear liver is, for example, so rich in vitamin A, you can inadvertently poison yourself acutely with vitamin A. 
Yeah. I mean, that speaks to some of what I see happening when we focus on the mitochondria, which is that people ignore the terrain all too often and go for the factors that are directly impacting the health of the mitochondria, but they're not working on the environmental cleanup inside the body. I don't know if you see that too, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that before we talk about some of the ways we support mitochondria? Because I'm always trying to remind people there is no X for the Y. It's always about terrain. You are a leader in that arena. And why do so many practitioners make this mistake? I'm going to do this in the context of myelination, which is so important. We have to have plenty of myelin, which is the fatty insulation around the wiring between our cells. And there's a lot of research on what drugs could improve that myelination. And there's some really interesting natural products that in animal models improve myelination. But I stress to my patients and to the practitioners that I treat that you have to fix the environment because it's the astrocytes and the microglia that are sensing the environment very carefully, systemically, and in the brain that will then create the environment that allows for healing or create a very lytic, toxic environment that is eating away at the neurons and the myelin. So you can give all the nutrients that the brain needs, the mitochondria needs, and the myelination process needs, but you can't use them, any of them, if the astrocytes and the microglia sense a toxic microenvironment because you're sitting all the time, because you're stressed out, because you aren't sleeping, you aren't exercising, you're not getting outside, that you have too many plastics, too many solvents, too many heavy metals. Your microglia and your astrocytes will eat up your brain, even if you have great nutrition. Yeah, it's all the things, all the things matter. I'm assuming that's how we mind our mitochondria. It's everything from the specific nutrients, which I want to talk about, to that full terrain revamping how we live. It's not just a one and done from a pill bottle. Correct. When people hear how much time I spend in my self-care, they go like, oh my God, I can't spend two and a half hours a day. You're the North Star, though, Dr. Walls. <laughs> None of us can live up to your standard. <laughs> I couldn't either until I retired from the VA. And now I work half-time at the university. And you know I run my other side business as well, teaching the public and practitioners. So now I can get up, meditate, exercise, take my sauna, take my cold shower, and then start my day. And I will occasionally let something pop into my schedule before 10 o'clock. I only do that occasionally because my face pain tells me. My microglia and my astrocytes say, uh-uh, your self-care is slipping here. We sense the environment is not as good as it should be, Terry. And we're getting a little inflamed. So my trigeminal nerve gets inflamed and the trigeminal neuralgia turns on. And that level of pain. You've had, you've had kids, correct? Yes, one, almost 21. Okay. So <laughs> that level of pain is way worse than labor, way worse than fractured bones. And I've fractured several because I 
do vigorous athletics, way worse than post-op pain. So I may feel like, you know, I'd rather not spend that two and a half hours a day. But my body tells me that I'm more likely to have my face pain turn on. Part of the reason I'm more sensitive is probably, you know, that I'm older. I'm 66 now. So I'm having to face the fact that I'm facing all of the effects of aging, albeit, you know, hopefully I'm doing it very well, and I think I am. You are doing it very well, and you're modeling it very well for all of us. And I have this wonderful biosensor in my astrocytes and microglia that tell me my brain's inflamed and my trigeminal nerve is inflamed, and I have to figure out what my trigger was or do a better job of self-care. And that's how I've landed on, you know what, I got to do two and a half hours most days, not every day. That's the biggest takeaway for us, Dr. Walls, I think right there, because what you're speaking about, that ability to tune into the symptoms in your body and yours are extreme, but for some of us, they may be subtle. But that tuning in, that's to me, not only empowerment, it's a political act to be able to take the time to tune in And no matter what your day is structured like and what the demands are, be able to make modifications for ourselves to stay in self-care. You know, when I teach the Walls Behavior Change Model to my practitioners, we go through that step by step. And one of the steps in that is teaching people to tune in to biosensors teaching them to use devices if they're into technology and they have the resources to get their devices like an aura ring, continuous glucose monitor, various activity monitors. Those are helpful. But the most helpful will always be your biosensor because that can be very individual. And the people who have pain or visual disturbance have it the best because the biosensor is so clear and it's hard to ignore. If you have a mental health problem, it's much more challenging because self-insight with mental health is not going to be as good. It's easier to ignore and be dismissive. Right. Such an important message there. Going back to the mitochondria, when we think about what nutrients, what we do or can do to support their function in addition to, because it has to be in addition to supporting the environment, what are your go-tos for supporting mitochondrial function? The biggest thing that we have to do is help people get in touch with their why. This is going to be work. It's going to be work for cleaning up your diet, getting rid of the sugar, improving the quality of your food choices. It'll be work changing and then adding new behaviors, extinguishing the ones I don't want to be doing. That requires energy. And to be willing to do the work, now I teach people that what is your why? What do you want your health for? What is your mission? What is it that you have the most passion about? I'll have retreats where we spend the retreat working on the why, why you want to go on your health journey. And that's profound because once I have the why, then you'll do the work. And so if you have children, in many of my retreats, the children or the grandchildren or the significant romantic partner is the why, because the person wants to have 
a deeper, more meaningful relationship with those people in their lives. Sometimes it's the work the person does that they care so deeply uh, about, or their religious and spiritual beliefs. That is their why. So do I have it right, Dr. Walls, that in order to mind our mitochondria, we have to find our purpose, as I like to call it, for why we are even making these changes? Because it matters even at that level to mind our mitochondria, to be in purpose and service to something larger than ourselves? We'll be much more effective if we're in purpose to something larger than ourselves and will be more effective if I am fighting, working for the people around me, that I'm in community. So I'd really like to have, again, when I'm teaching practitioners, when I'm teaching patients, that we do this in community and I get people connected because, you know, moms are really great examples of this. We'll work harder for our kids and our partners than we will for ourselves. That's just sort of the nature of being a mom. And the nature of being a soldier in combat is, by God, you'll work harder for your comrades in your fighting force than you would necessarily for yourself because your brothers and sisters in your conflict matter so deeply to you. And in the show, when you're in theater, you work incredibly hard for everyone in the production because the production community is so bonded. So knowing the why, very helpful. Having a community, very helpful. And that's how you'll be most effective at being willing to do the work. Yeah, I love that you're talking about this and not going right to fatty acids and alpha-lipoic acid and NAC. I mean, I know all that matters. Right, all that stuff matters. And we can talk about the 80,000 compounds, the named compounds, the unnamed compounds that contribute to our health, to our microbiome, to help our microbes do a better job, making the metabolites that get into our bloodstream that will influence our chemistry in ways that we don't even yet know how to measure. It is all so completely connected. But many of my colleagues get focused on the named compounds. We want to use a lot of supplements. I want to measure these things. And and it can be very, very helpful. Absolutely. Yes, to know the hormonal balances, to know the ratios of the essential fatty acids and sort of tinker uh, with those things. But if you're not fixing all the stuff that I've just talked about, the patient will not get well. If you fix all the stuff I talk about, And you get them to eat more sauerkraut, more greens, more berries, protein, preferably they're meat eaters, but if they're not meat eaters because of spiritual beliefs, I have to work with that, uh, and I will. And you correct the modifiable lifestyle factors, they'll begin to repair. And then after you fix the modifiable lifestyle factors, you can go ahead, do the sophisticated measurements and make further adjustments. But if people are coming in and they want to have a huge workup to convince them to make changes to their lifestyle, that it's not going to work. So if, if you want to come work with me, you have to commit to what we're going to do all the lifestyle stuff and get that in shape. That's the ticket to come see me. 
is the yeah. commitment to be 100% on the diet and lifestyle. And yes, we'll do investigations and we'll make further refinements. But if you're not ready to fully commit to all of these concepts I'm talking about with getting your why, your community, addressing mm-hmm. modifiable lifestyle factors, I'm not the person for you. Right. I appreciate that. That's so important. And I love your perspective. And it's so important for people to hear it from you, Dr. Walls. Is there anything else you wish that clinicians knew about the mitochondria, either that we're getting wrong or that we can get more right? (laughs) Well, uh, I think the big message is uh, when we think of the cell danger response, that our cells sense there's an immediate threat and activate the innate immune system. The mitochondria are a key player in the cell danger response. The mitochondria are a key player in activating the resolution and repairing and completing the healing cycle. The mitochondria are so much bigger than making energy. And for years, I thought it was all about the energy. Now I realize the mitochondria are a big driver of determining our gene expression. And so I think the mitochondria may have much more influence on the shaping of our lives than we realized. So absolutely, mitochondria health is vital. So the nutrients, very important, but we have to also take care of the microenvironment, which means the exposome, and all those modifiable lifestyle factors. So beautifully shared. Dr. Walls, thank you so much for the work you do, the leadership you provide, and for being here with me today. Thank you. We're all in this together, so I appreciate the wonderful work that you do as well, Andrea. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified by email each week about our podcast releases, head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Also, please feel free to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com. 